21 hours a day in a hotel room. The price of lockdown elite sport. Hello, this is Destination Tokyo. I'm Mark Shardlow. Thanks very much for all the kind comments yesterday. The launch edition with Martin Rooney in Dubai and Nick Hope. This is a daily bite-sized podcast lasting about 10 minutes, uh, telling the stories and talking to the athletes heading to the Olympics and Paralympics in Tokyo this summer. Today, Andy Stevenson gives some really interesting views on the Paralympics and from Bangkok, the top-ranked British badminton pair of Marcus Ellis and Lauren Smith. Hiya. It's a crazy month for you guys. What's happening there? Well, normally this time of year, there'd be three separate events in three separate countries. Um, But what they've done to get those events to go ahead, this is our first tournament for months. Um, They've put them all in Bangkok. Um, They've put all of the athletes and a lot of the staff into a bubble. Um, So we're getting tested every three days. We only leave the hotel room for training. um, And that's about it. Um, you know, the food's delivered to our room. Uh, it's very, very different to what we're not used to. I mean, we could literally be anywhere in the world in a hotel room or a hall. Um, but, you know, it's just good to be back at an event. And hopefully, you know, so far we've had two lots of testing and everybody, I think all 800 people have tested negative twice. Um, so we're certainly safe. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a bit strange. So it's, it really is a tight bubble then, if you're if you like, you're confined to your room. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, we didn't really believe that that was going to be the case when we, when we came. You know, they did say that you would be quarantined in your room other than for playing badminton. Um, but we just thought, yeah, yeah, but, you know, it probably won't be. But, you know, it really, really is. Uh, you know, we were pretty much chauffeured straight out the airport onto a bus and we came here, got tested and up you went to your room. Um, and you weren't allowed to go training until you had that result back. Uh, and just like Lauren said, every, everything is done uh, to precision. And, and to be fair to them, they're doing a really good job. So breakfast in your room, yep. <laughs> lunch, evening meal, everything. How, how, mu- how much time do you get out then for, for training? We've been having about 75 minutes on court, 75 minutes in the gym. And so, you know, it's less training volume than what we'd be used to. So we've been doing little hit circuits and stuff like that in the hotel room just to kind of top that up probably the highlight of the day is the like the minutes that you get to walk the bus uh, especially when you're out and it's sunny 30 degrees and you're just taking it every bit of breath you can it's not even minutes it's seconds (laughs) (laughs) we've had delays haven't we We to stand outside for five more minutes and it's really really nice um but yeah i think you know we're quite lucky actually because we're sharing a room um, a lot of the other players are in their own rooms. So, you know, the only time they're actually having physical contact um, with people is when we're going to training. Gosh, that's, I make it up about 20 hours a day in your own room for about a month. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't depress me. Yeah, I think of it like that. <laughs> That's great. But like you said, Lauren, um, like after the last few months, it must be great to to think you've you've actually got a tournament to play in. Yeah, it is really exciting. You know, we've never trained this much ever in our careers. You know, badminton is notoriously busy in the calendar. Um, the most we'd normally train would be kind of three weeks um, in a normal normal year. And so, you know, we don't really know where we're at. We've been training really hard and really well, but you want to be able to measure that. And the reason you train is to compete and to have that adrenaline and have that feeling. Um, And we've really missed it. So, you know, I think for the fans as well, I think a lot of people have missed watching badminton. um, And yeah, we're just happy to do these things if it means we get to play. If this is what it has to be, then we just have to find a way to, to deal with it. It's the same for every player. So if we're kind of mentally tough, then... 
everybody's in the same boat. And are you are you still focused on on the Olympics? Yeah, I think you know for for all of us, uh, certainly in badminton, you know the, Olymp- the Olympics is everything. It's it's our pinnacle. So I think so is in the back of our minds, isn't it? Yeah. Um, you know, you know we we don't obviously we would love it to go ahead and what have you, but at the moment we're just happy to get back competing and doing you know doing what we really like. So. We're preparing as if, you know, it is going to be on and that's all we can do is make sure that if it is on, if we do get to finish qualifying and qualify, that we're in good shape for that. What do you hope you for for the next um, three weeks then? I think we've really kind of got our expectations on just getting back into competition. You know, obviously we want to come here and perform and there's opportunities to do, you know, to do really well at these tournaments. Um, you know, some players haven't been able to come, like all of the Chinese and Japanese team actually weren't able to travel for various reasons. Um, so, you know, it's opened up a few opportunities. Um, but I think the huge thing that we talked about before coming out here was just kind of getting back into that competition mentality, getting tournament sharp again um, because there's no way to recreate those emotions and that mental draining um, and all of those things in a training environment so as much as we do want to come here and say you know we want to win or we want to reach this point it's actually just about taking it game by game and getting back into the swing of things because this isn't actually a qualifying event Um, the first qualifying event would be in March assuming things go ahead and so, you know, this is just a great opportunity. We know we've got three weeks of events. We know that we can get lots of games under our belt because of that. So how can we use them just to get back to that kind of good on-court tournament feeling um, mm. without too much pressure on, on expectation? You seem to cope pretty well in lockdown from what I saw on your social medias. you got a little puppy like a lot of people. Is that right, Luna? Yeah, mm. Luna. She was a little adoption. Mm. So, yeah. <laughs> we, we wanted a dog for, for ages. Um and we found we found her on I can't remember what website it was, but it was an adoption. She wasn't a puppy. I know she looks like one, but <laughs> um, she's two years old. And you know, we both absolutely love dogs. And we knew when we got her that obviously we, when traveling came back, it was going to be challenging. So she's at his mum and dad's now. It was kind of a drive up the motorway, drop her in the garden, let her run over to them, and then run away. Um, and we really do miss her. We've been talking about her all the time. <laughs> do you think she's okay? They're going to send a photo. All of that. Um, but, you know, she, she's made us really, really happy. And also she was quite timid and scared when we got her. And she's really kind of, she's a little sassy but like pup now. It's ridiculous. Um, and we're just kind of, uh, we talk about like she's a child. It's ridiculous. Um, but, you know, she has been a really great addition for yeah, us and definitely nice. helped us get through lockdown mentally. Yeah, I think a lot of people have found the same thing, Lauren Marcus. Well, thank you very much. All the best for the next few weeks. Hopefully catch up with you soon. Cheers, man. Thank you. And hello now to Andy Stevenson, host of the Paralympics podcast, A Winning Mindset, and working on the coverage of Tokyo 2021. Thanks for joining us, Andy. Hi, Mark. Yeah, nice to be here. Thanks for asking. As we just heard, it's it's a weird time, isn't it, for, for elite sport, and particularly para sport. It is, yeah. And, you know, as, as you say, I've been talking to various athletes over the last, well, it's coming up to a year now, isn't it, really? And um, I think one of the things that shines through, and a few of the athletes have said themselves, is that Paralympic athletes and, and disabled people in general, really, are used to adversity and, and having to try and overcome barriers put in their way. Um, so it's not that it's it's made it any easier for them, but it's it's I think a fact that uh, a lot of the Paralympic athletes have approached this delay in the same way that they 
may have approached a you know a, an issue or a barrier in in their own ordinary lives and there's a certain resilience about them to just keep on going and, and they'll get there at some point you've spoken to some amazing people on your podcast amazing elite athletes it's called a winning mindset what have you learned do you think from doing it over the last year one of the most interesting things I think I've learned is speaking to athletes who have disabilities that are very, very different to my own. So I'm essentially an amputee, albeit from, from birth. Um, I spoke to Todd Hodgetts, an Australian shot putter, for example, who uh, has a learning disability. And the things he has to think about in his training, in his everyday life, and particularly then when he gets to the competition arena are things that I had never really encountered before and and actually I said to him I'm going to be honest with you Todd I feel a bit embarrassed to say this but I've never actually interviewed uh, an athlete with learning disabilities in in all of my time covering the Paralympics and he was great and there was just a real sort of honesty about him um, where he would you know he would say look if you come into a coffee shop with me you're going to be doing all the work because I won't be able to remember the order or I won't necessarily be able to look after the the money side of things myself. But if we head out onto the athletics field, I'll throw a shot put, you know, further than you've ever seen type thing. So it's, I think I sort of knew this before, but the podcast has really underlined it, that I think there is quite a difference in mentality between people who are born with their disabilities and people who acquire them. I mean, acquire is such a polite, nice word when you consider that people are are becoming disabled through, you know, nasty accidents or terrible illnesses. So acquire is a very sort of dainty word, way of putting it. But I think there is a difference in mentality between people who've lived with their disabilities, you know, since they were born and people who whose disability comes to them suddenly. And that's been quite interesting um, to get into as well. But I, you know, I've really enjoyed it. And I've, it's, uh, like yourself, I'm familiar with a lot of the British Paralympic team, but this podcast has, has given me an opportunity to, to meet if you like, or at least talk to Paralympians from all around the world, which has been great. And where do you think we're at with Tokyo 2021? I mean, it feels like this is a, a big week here in the UK. It feels like the coronavirus has, has taken a, a nastier step forward it feels almost like we were back in March last year where do you see things it changes certainly from month to month and I think actually at the moment it's changing from week to week and in my day job of trying to plan the channel Four coverage you know we're we're at a point where we're not really able to sort of confirm anything at the moment because there are so many unknowns I I still feel confident that the games will happen, but in the same way as we've seen with other major sporting occasions, they're going to happen in a very, very different way. I think the most obvious one of those is is the lack of crowds. I think if the games go ahead this summer, I think you'll see either no crowds at all or the crowds will be made up entirely of people from Tokyo. I get the impression there are going to be much stronger restrictions around the movement of athletes. So, uh, you know, an athlete will come in, stay in the village, do their competition, and then perhaps be encouraged to fly home immediately again. I I don't quite know how that works financially because, um, you know, the various Paralympic committees around the world don't have the money to be laying on various, you know, 80 different flights rather than one flight at the end of the games. But 
I was thinking about this earlier on, but you know, when I was thinking about what we were going to discuss, and I know that it would come at another huge cost. But for me, I think the Olympics and Paralympics of Tokyo should happen, even if that's next year, 2022. I, I uh, I've I've heard lots of talk, and I'm sure you have too, Mark. That if they don't happen this year, that's it. The Tokyo Olympics and Paralympics just don't happen. I think there has to be a way, and the the finances have to be found somehow for those games to happen, even if it is next year. Um, I know we're into a Commonwealth Games year as well in 2022, but actually, if you look at the fact that the Football World Cup, which would usually dominate that summer of 22, is actually happening in November, December. I think you would have an opportunity for the Olympics and Paralympics to have a huge place in the calendar. I Maybe this is just me being sort of soft and sentimental, but I kind of, I feel so sorry for the Japanese people and the Japanese organising committee and the athletes from around the world if it just doesn't happen. I think that would be almost unthinkable. And actually, I think there should come a point this spring where if it's looking like the Games can't happen this year they all sit down and think right how do we make this happen next year I know that's kind of quite left field and probably quite radical and I know it would cost millions if not billions of pounds again for another delay but I just think it's important that it happens at some point I'm loving your soft and sentimental side <laughs> Andy I think uh, you know a lot of people have put a lot of work into it haven't they and and you feel at some stage we need to celebrate that this pandemic is we, we've we've beaten it across the world and there's nothing like an Olympics and Paralympics to do that. I think that's it because people are, you know, pointing to the Olympics and Paralympics as that way of saying, oh, wow, hasn't the world done exceptionally well to, to get through the pandemic? And if that's happening whilst the pandemic is still having an effect on lots of people's lives, it, it it's just completely diluted then that feeling of celebration, which is why I think being at, at least open to the idea of it happening in 2022 is something worth thinking about. Andy, something to think about there. Catch up with you again in a couple of weeks or so and hopefully things will have moved on. I hope so too. Thanks, Mark. So thanks to Andy Stevenson and to Lauren Smith and Marcus Ellis and, of course, to you for listening. I'm doing these podcasts to try and raise money too for Maggie's Cancer Centres. If you want to donate and drop the price of a cup of coffee or something as simple as that, then please search the Just Giving site and search for Destination Tokyo and you'll find the backstory and all the details there. So until tomorrow, thank you again and goodbye.